All right, well, good morning. Thank you, Jackie, for that beautiful song there. And uh, we really appreciate that. Uh, well, this morning, guys, we are continuing in this series, Square One, and this is actually wrapping up our, our series. We've looked at what is a disciple, uh, how, what's the best place to learn Christ, or the best place to make disciples, and we found that that was the church. And now today it is, why should we make disciples? Why should we make disciples. If you have your copy of God's Word, uh, you can turn in 2 Peter chapter 1, whether you have that on your phone, whether you have that, you know, a physical copy, whatever it might be. And there's also a Bible in, in front of you in the pew if you happen to not have an app on your phone or have a physical copy of God's Word with you. 2 Peter, it is in the New Testament, uh, kind of midway through, if you will. 2 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to be at, and we're looking at verses 3 through 15 this morning. Verses 3 through 15. Um, so let me go to the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to dive into today's message, and we'll read the Scripture together as we walk through um, this message. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your church, Lord. Uh, to, to learn and to understand why it is that we should make disciples. And Lord, as we walk through this passage here today, I ask that you would help me to, to accurately communicate your word as well as for us as, as those who are here to hear the word, to, to hear it um, and to internalize it and to apply it to their life and to the life of this congregation. Lord, we thank you for all that you do for us. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, all living things grow. You know, they may not grow at the same rate or at the, in the same way, but everything that is alive grows. I think of my kids right now, you know, they are, they are growing and you can, you can see that, right? It seems like every couple of months we've got to purchase some new clothes for them because they've outgrown that last set of clothes. And, and at times they grow much faster than, than other times. And I can always tell when they are growing because they just become these ravenous eaters, right? It's like we eat dinner and they eat a snack and then they come back for another snack before they go to bed at night. And as soon as they get home from school, they're just like raid our pantry and they eat so much. And I'm like, where are they putting all of this? Like, they are eating literally more than I would eat at dinner time. And I'm thinking, where is all of this going? Like, how is it even possible for them to eat all of this? But somehow, they are able to fit that in there. And just as my kids are growing, everything around us that is alive grows. Right now, it's winter, which means that the grass is dormant. But spring is just right around the corner. And so that green or that brown grass is going to begin to to green up. And I don't know about you. I'm sure that, that you do as well. You prefer that green grass in your yard. You just may not prefer to get out there every single week and cut that green grass. But it looks much nicer than the brown grass that you have in your yard right now. And soon that grass is going to come back to life. That grass is going to begin growing again. And we're going to have nice yards, but we're going to have to get out there every single week and cut that green grass that is growing. Everything around us that is alive grows. And that not only includes our kids, that not only includes our grass, but that includes our food as well. Living in the city, we're a bit divorced from 
farm life. All we see is the final product that we pick up at the grocery store, we put in our carts, and we come home, put in our refrigerators, our pantries, and then eventually on our dinner plate. We don't get to see the meat or the vegetables grow on the farm, but, but they do. They grow from babies in the womb and seeds in the ground to what we put on our dinner plates at night. Everything around us that is alive grows. And that is a truth that we all experience, one that is self-evident, one that is natural to us, one that we expect to take place without much thought at all. Everything around us that is alive grows, and that should be true of Christians as well. Peter gets at this truth in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, through our belief in Christ, we are told that, that God's power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And you see that there in verse 3. And then a little bit later, he's, he's kind of talking about what we should have happen. He says, having escaped the corruption in the world and experiencing new life in Christ, we are to grow in Christ's likeness. And we see that in verses 4 through, through 7. That's my paraphrase. We'll, we'll read that in depth here in a little bit. But everything that is around us that is alive grows. And this should be true of the Christian life as well. The Christian life should be one of growth. In, in fact, that should be the default for a Christian, just as it is the default for our kids and, and for our, our grass. Growth for the Christian is not optional. And what else is not optional is us helping one another to grow in Christ. Down in 2 Peter 1.13, Peter says this, I think it right, as long as I am in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder. And if we were to turn over to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25, we're given this exhortation there. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but get this, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As Christians, we should help one another grow. We should be disciples who make disciples. One author puts it this way. Every disciple of Christ is called to make other disciples of Christ. Everyone who follows Jesus is called to help others follow Jesus. The New Testament includes no disciples who don't make other disciples. And though growth for the Christian is not an option, and we should do all that we can to help others grow in Christ, I'm afraid we treat it as if it is optional. We treat growth in Christ's likeness and helping others grow as if it is just this optional add-on to the Christian life. And I believe that happens for a number of reasons, and one is that we make discipleship seem too complicated, right? We trick ourselves into believing that, that we have nothing to offer, that the discipleship and helping other people grow in the faith is only for super-Christians. It's only for, you know, your Sunday school teacher or your small group leader. It is only for your pastor. I have nothing to offer. There's nothing that I can do to help another person grow, and so what happens? We sit stagnant. We, we, we believe that lie, the lie that Satan wants us to believe. We believe that we have nothing to offer other people, and so we just, we just sit there. We don't do anything to help other people grow in the faith. But here's the thing. Discipleship doesn't have to be complicated. It's not reserved for the super-Christian. Discipleship can be as simple as just going on a walk with someone and 
figuring out how you might be able to pray for that person. It can be a mother inviting a young single woman into her home and them just doing laundry together while they talk about life. It can be friends meeting up during a a, a lunch break, reading scripture together and praying for the salvation of their co-workers. Discipleship can take on a thousand different forms. The only necessary ingredient is that you are actually seeking to build other people up in the faith. And there are a thousand ways that you can do that. Discipleship doesn't have to be complicated. Discipleship does not have to be intimidating. It doesn't have to be just for the super Christian. Discipleship is something that we should all take part in. We should all be seeking our own personal growth, and we should all be seeking the growth of other Christians around us, especially those that that we are members of at the same church, that we are in community with. As we talked about last week, if you remember, what's the best place to learn Christ? Well, the best place to learn Christ is in the church, in the church community that God has has placed you. That is the best place for us to learn Christ. But surveying the church, discipleship is often a practice that is lacking. We are content to gather with one another. We are content to just talk about the weather and to talk about the, the big game, but we aren't willing to fight for one another's growth in godliness. And I believe this is one of the reasons that the American church is, is in decline, right? We want our preferences to be met. We want to be comfortable. We don't want to open up to other people. We don't want to get like involved in the messy part of other people's lives. We would rather just keep people at arm's length rather than invite them in so that we can grow and so that they can grow. But that's not how we should operate. Instead, we are to be disciple-making disciples. And why is that? Why should we make disciples? Well, first, we make disciples to glorify Jesus. In 2 Peter 1, 3, we, we, we learn this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. And so these two verses here, they reveal a lot of truth to us. And so let's just, let's break that down. And one of the first things that, that we learn in these two verses is that we experience salvation and growth in Christ's likeness through God's divine power and through his granting. Life here refers to eternal life. Godliness refers to us being like Jesus in our thoughts and in our actions. And through God's divine power, the same power that created the world, the same power that that raised Jesus from the dead, through His divine power, He raises us from being dead men and women to those who are alive in Christ. It is the work of God in our life that we are able to come to faith in Christ through the same divine power that created the world and sustains the world, He provides us with life in Christ. And He provides us with continued transformation. Our salvation and the continued transformation, then we can say, is it is a gift of God. He gives us what we need in order to come to faith and and to grow in godliness. Our salvation and our continued growth is not the product of our own abilities, but it is a gift of God. He is the one who has granted to us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. 
And knowing that our salvation and, and our growth in Christ is, is a gift that God gives us, this should kill all forms of, of pride that, that we come to Christ on our own, that, that we are able to save ourselves, that we are able to, to transform ourselves. We don't save ourselves, nor do we grow on our own effort and discoveries. That's what the world calls us to do, right? It calls us to seek self-salvation. It calls us to seek self-discovery. It tells us that, that you have everything that you need just right inside of yourself. All you need to do is, is grow it and, and nurture it a little bit through self-reflection, through, through personal development. But that is not what the Bible tells us, is it? No, the, the reason we're able to grow the reason that we are able to change, the reason we are able to put away sin and be transformed to be more like Christ is because God has given us something that we did not have in and of ourselves. He has granted, He has bestowed, He has given us all that we need for eternal life and godly transformation. Our growth in Christ should not only encourage and assure us then of, of, of our salvation, right? If we see ourselves growing in Christ, we see ourselves putting sin away in our lives, we should be assured that we are Christians because we would not do that otherwise. And, and the flip side of that is if, if we say that we are a Christian and we don't see any growth in our life at all for, for our entire life, well, then we should not be assured that we are believers in faith in Christ. We should be asking ourselves, well, why am I not growing? Why am I not desiring the things of God? Why do I not desire change in my life? Why do I not see change in my life? Why am I not becoming more like Christ? And we should wonder, am I really a believer? Am I really a Christian? We should talk with others about that. And we should come to faith in Christ if we discover that that we really are not believers. Our growth in Christ should encourage us and assure us, but if we don't see that growth, well, in a sense, it should scare us because it means that we are not right with God. It means that we are not believers in Christ because grow, grow, Christians grow. As well as knowing that we are growing in, in the faith, it should humble us as well as it should drive us to praise God. And that's why we get together on, on Sundays. We get together to, to have the gospel proclaimed to us, to have the beauty of Christ proclaimed to us, and to praise God for the work that He is doing in our lives and to encourage and teach one another as well. And not only does this passage reveal that salvation and growth in Christ's likeness comes through God's divine power and granting, but it also tells us that we are saved and sanctified through the knowledge of Christ who has called us to His own glory and excellence. And so what that means is that we experience salvation and growth and godliness by perceiving the beauty and the loveliness of Christ, of His life, of His death, of His resurrection. In other words, our salvation and our continued transformation occurs as we come to understand and reflect on the glory of Christ. It doesn't come through, you know, a three-step program or anything like that, right? It comes through us being gospel-centered. It comes through us reflecting on and constantly reflecting on the gospel, recognizing that Jesus has come and He has died for people who are absolutely wretched sinners who deserve nothing from God. 
who deserve nothing but hell and punishment for the rest of all eternity. But Jesus has left his heavenly abode, and Jesus has come. He has lived a life on this earth, the perfect life. He deserves no death, but he takes that on for us so that we might experience life, so that we might be able to come to the Father as children. We reflect on that. We should grow in Christ as we reflect on the, the aspects of the gospel. We should be changed in those ways. As we share Christ with others, as we seek to make disciples, calling them to faith and helping them grow in the faith, what we end up doing is we end up putting Jesus' glory, His greatness on display. His beauty, His goodness, His, His gracious sacrifice. We put all of that on display when we are making disciples. And if you aren't seeking to make disciples, then, then what's happening is you're not seeking to glorify Jesus. And what better person to glorify than Jesus, the one who has given his life for ours, the one who is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and, and whose obedience is imputed to us. The true and better Abel, though slain, has blood that cries out for our acquittal and not our condemnation. The true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave his heavenly home of comfort and familiarity to create a new people of God. The true and better Moses who, who stands in the gap between us and the Lord mediating a new covenant. The true and better David who reigns and rules with justice and equity. What better person to glorify than Jesus? And as we seek to make disciples, that is exactly what we do. We glorify Him by putting His goodness, by putting His moral excellence on display. We glorify Him by putting the gospel on display. Making disciples not only puts Jesus' glory on display, though, but making disciples, it, it also rescues. The rescuing nature of the gospel is another thing that, another reason, excuse me, we should seek to make disciples. We should make disciples to rescue people from death. You see, when I was young, younger than my boys are now, I, my dad, he, he took us to one of his friend's pools and we didn't, I couldn't swim at that time. I hadn't gone through swimming lessons and, and all of that. Um, we didn't have any floaties. You know, my dad was just kind of winging it. You know, he's like, hey, my, my friend invited us over to the pool. We're going to the pool. Like, um, I know you can't swim. Stay in the shallow end. Uh, you will be fine. Where you can touch, stay there. It'll be all good. And at first I did. I, 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 we went to the pool. We were having fun. We were out there playing. I was in the shallow end, just kind of playing around. But, but then after a while, I thought, man, I, I got the swimming thing down. And so I began to, to inch over to the deep end, just kind of testing things a little bit to see how far I could go where I could touch. And I got over there, you know, that... The, deep, uh, the shallow end to the deep end usually has this slope that starts to slope down. And I went over that hump, and I touched that slope, and as soon as I did, my feet went up from underneath me, and I went under. And I start flailing around, like I can't, I'm like, oh, I really can't swim, I'm going to die, I'm going to drown, I'm flailing all around. And then a few seconds later, my dad comes over, he grabs my arm and pulls me out. He rescues me from certain death, from certain drowning. And that's what we do when we present the gospel to people. That's what we do when we fight for other people's growth in Christ. We rescue them. 
We pull them out of certain death and we rescue them. 2 Peter 1.4, we read this. By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption, or you can translate that as death, that is in the world because of sinful desire. We were told right at the first that, that those who believe the gospel experience the promises of God. And that is a really good thing, right? Because God is holy. God is righteous. God always keeps His Word. He is powerful, which means that, that through His power, He is able to bring about His promises. Not only does He have the power to do that, but God's character tells us that He is going to bring about those promises. If God promised something and He didn't bring that about, well, He would cease to be God because He wouldn't be holy and righteous and all of the other characteristics of, of who He is. And what He says He will do, God will do. And we could take that to the bank. And what promises can we count on? Well, if we keep going in the verse, we're told that, that the promises that we can count on is that we become partakers of the divine nature in Christ. And let me just say, this does not mean that we become gods ourselves. That is not what, what this text is getting at. We're not becoming little gods or anything like that. You know, that is like more of a Mormon view of Scripture. But that's not what this verse teaches us. It's not teaching us that we become little gods. Instead, what it means is that we are able to fully image God and that we also become part of His family. You can think of it like looking in a mirror, right? We all have a mirror at home. Each and every one of us, almost every single day, we get up and we go and, and we check the mirror. The mirror helps us get rid of our bedhead. The mirror helps us get rid of things that are sucking our teeth. The mirror helps us to make sure that, that we look nice, that none of our clothing is, is out of place. The mirror shows us exactly what we look like at that point in history. And some of you look in the mirror and you think, man, I wish I didn't look in the mirror today. But, but you know, the mirror shows us what we look like. The mirror shows us reality. And in a similar way, that's what Peter is getting at here. God promises that we will mirror him. God promises that, that, that his character, his moral qualities, all of those things, we will mirror him. In that way, we become partakers of the divine nature. That's why we can say that, that a disciple is a learner of Christ. A disciple is someone who learns Christ, who, who becomes like Christ in their thoughts and in their actions. And the process of becoming like Christ, it starts now, right? As we, as we become believers in Christ, as we profess faith in Christ, as we are baptized like Gary was this morning, and we make a public profession of faith, right? We, we begin to become more like Christ. And we continue that throughout our entire lives. And then when we die or when Christ comes back, whatever happens first, we're glorified. We become more like Christ at that point, right? Our sinful body is, is shed. But this occurs and begins now. And it continues for all of eternity. And all of this is possible because we are rescued, he tells us. We are rescued from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. In other words, we are rescued from death. Death that is the result of sin that is in the world. Apart from popular opinion, the world is not, a, not good. Uh, we, are, we are not good. We are corrupt. We are sinful. The world is corrupt. And it's all because of sin. A rebellious nature 
a desire to, to not have God as our Lord. That's what sin is. It's not just us missing the mark every now and again and telling a few little white lies or doing something even worse like killing somebody, right? All of that combined shows our rebelliousness. And you can be the best person in the world, the most adored person in the community, and still be the biggest sinner. It's where we all are. And that's why we need Christ. That's why we need Him to come and die for us. And those who are caught up in sin, those who reject Christ and choose evil, the Scripture tells us that they are dying even now. We seek to make disciples to rescue people from death. And as we come to faith in Christ, they are rescued from eternal death. As we grow in Christ, we are continually rescued from death that sin causes. You see, people die, institutions die because of sin. The way people are rescued from death is, is by making disciples. That is God's rescue plan. Right? My dad rescued me from death by acting as a lifeguard for me. We rescue people from death by making disciples and being disciple makers. Every time we see someone come to faith in Christ, they are rescued from certain death. Every time we, we work to help another brother, brother and sister in Christ experience transformation, the corrupting power and the corrupting nature of sin is pushed back and we bring about life in that person. And there's this constant tug of war in this life where we are constantly pushing back sin in people's lives who are believers in Christ. But that's what we should do. That's exactly what we should be about. That's exactly what we should do. And Peter, he goes on in verse 5 to tell us that we should make every effort to grow. We should not be apathetic. We should not seek our own growth to the detriment of other people's growth. We, we should continue to seek our growth, of course, but, but we should also seek the growth of, of other people. If we don't, then we are letting other people around us die. We are letting ourselves die. We are letting them experience corruption and death, and that's not what we should do, be about, right? We should make every effort to grow. Peter gives us a list of these qualities in verse Four, I'm not going to read everything, but, but the summary, the highlight is we should make an effort to, to grow in faith and in virtue and in knowledge and in self-control and in steadfastness and in godliness and brotherly affection and in love. We should make every effort to grow in those characters, qualities. We shouldn't sit stagnant and say we are to make every effort to be transformed, to grow in Christ's likeness. And not only should we make every effort ourselves, but, but we should seek to stir others up in the faith. I've already referred to, to this verse in verse 13, where he says, I think it right, as long as I am in the body, as long as I am alive, to stir you up by way of reminder. As long as we are here, it doesn't matter if we are young. It doesn't matter if we are old. It doesn't matter if we have just come to faith in Christ as you know, a, an elementary school person or middle school or high school or whatever, or if we're in our later years of life, we are to be about the business of stirring people up in the faith, of doing what it is that we can do to help another grow in Christ. Peter knew that he was about to die. 
He goes on in, in verse 14, Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me, I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. He says, I am not giving up. To the day that I die, that I take my last breath, I know that it will be soon. I will seek to make disciples in Christ. I will seek to help you grow in Christ. And that means we shouldn't sit in the pews. That means we shouldn't be apathetic. That means that we shouldn't keep others at arm's length. Instead, we are to press into community. We are to get to know other people. We are to attend Bible study and plug into Sunday school classes. We should make and use every opportunity that we can to be a part of a transformative learning community as well as we should make every effort that we can to experience transformation and to help other people experience transformation in Christ until the day that we die. As I said when we began, the Bible expects Christians to grow as well as it expects Christians to help others grow. And so church, let's be a church that helps others grow. Let's be a church that that reaches out to the community. Let's be a church that is willing to do whatever it takes to make disciple-making disciples. Let's seek Jesus' glory. Let's seek to rescue others from death and to continue to press back that death in their life. This is the type of church that we need to be. This is the type of church that Scripture is calling us to be. And that is the call of response this morning. To be a people, to be a church that does whatever necessary to make disciple making disciples. And that's the call to those who don't yet know Christ. Maybe there's someone here who has, who has come today, who's watching online today, who doesn't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. But you've heard the gospel today. God is stirring. God is working in your heart this morning. You know that, that your relationship with the Lord is not right. You know, you know that if you died today, you would not go to heaven. You know that. And you also know the one who can provide you with eternal life. The one who can rescue you from certain death. And that's Jesus. And so this morning as we close, I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to come. And we're going to sing. And this is an opportunity for you to respond, for the church to respond, and for those who don't know Christ to respond. I'll be down here in the front if you'd like to come and, and pray. If you'd like to profess faith in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, we'd be happy to celebrate that with you this morning. If you have additional questions, I'll be in the back after the service as well and be happy to talk with you more then. But let's go to the Lord in prayer now. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity that we have had to hear your word, to learn why it is that we should make disciples. And Lord, I ask that you would allow that to be the case, that we would respond to this message in a way that puts us on a trajectory towards disciple-making. And Lord, I ask that if there's a person here or a person watching who doesn't yet know you, that they might call out to you in salvation today. 
recognizing that it is Jesus who has died on their behalf and Jesus alone who can provide them with salvation. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.